order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mark Lancaster. Yeah. Question number one, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Ranger Aaron McCormick of the 1st Battalion, the Royal Irish Regiment, who died on Remembrance Sunday. His commanding officer has described him as the epitome of the Irish infantry soldier, tough, selfless, good-humoured and full of compassion. He showed astonishing bravery, leading the way in clearing IEDs for the safety of local civilians and his fellow soldiers. We send our sincere condolences to his family, friends and his colleagues. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will also wish to join me in sending our warmest congratulations and best wishes to Prince William and Kate Middleton on their engagement. I'm sure everyone agrees this is wonderful news. We look forward to the wedding itself with excitement and anticipation. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mark Lancaster. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, may I associate myself with the Prime Minister's comments? Um, possibly the best piece of news to come out this morning from the unemployment figures is the rise of the employment count. But small businesses in Milton Keynes are still concerned at both the cost and the bureaucracy of taking extra workers on. What can the government do to help them? I think my honourable friend makes an extremely good point. We've got to do more to make it easier for small businesses to take people on. The figures this morning, though, are good news. The claimant count is down 3,700 on the month. Uh, Unemployment, as defined by the ILO, is down 9,000 on the quarter. And crucially, as my honourable friend says, employment is up 167,000 on the quarter. We are helping small businesses by cutting the small business rate of corporation tax. We have the one-in-one-out rule so that new regulations will be limited. And we have a new enterprise capital fund to provide additional equity finance. We need to do all these things, but I think more to help small businesses take people off the unemployment register and put them back to work. Harriet Harman. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Ranger Aaron McCormick of 1st Battalion, the Royal Irish Regiment, who died on Sunday. His brave service in our armed forces will be remembered and we send our deepest condolences to his family. Can I also join the Prime Minister in sending our warmest congratulations to Prince William and Kate Middleton on their engagement? Mr Speaker, Would the Prime Minister tell the House how many fewer police officers there will be as a result of his 20% real terms cut in the police budget? Well, it will be up to individual police forces. This is is very important to try and make sure that they maximise the resources on the front line. What we said in the spending review is it is possible to keep the high level of visibility and activity of police on our streets. That is the challenge to every police force in the country. And I think when you look across police forces and you see how many officers there are in HR and in IT and in back office functions, I think we can succeed in this. Harriet Harman. But Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary says that, of course, while there are efficiencies, beyond 12% cuts, there will inevitably be cuts in frontline police officers. And he's asking not for 12%, but for 20% cuts. As usual, the Prime Minister has ducked the question and he won't admit how many frontline police he's cutting. He used to be very clear about protecting frontline service. This is what he said on May the 2nd. 
Any Cabinet Minister, if I win the election, who comes to me and says, here are my plans and they involve frontline reductions, they will be sent straight back to their department to go away and think again. So what did he say to the Home Secretary? This is, a, this is a question that's been asked of her own Shadow Home Secretary, now the, now the Shadow Chancellor. And this, this is what he said. He was asked, he was asked, easy. <laughs> order, order. The Prime Minister's answers will be heard. What, order, order. What opposition members make of them is up to them, but they will hear them. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It was a very simple question from Andrew Neil to the Shadow Chancellor. Can you guarantee, if you form the next government, that police numbers won't fall? Alan Johnson? No. That is what they said. No. They can engage if, you, if, if she wants to. Why don't we engage in a proper debate? about how we try and make sure we maximise resources on the front line. That is what we are asking the police force to do. That is what the opposition should be involved in, instead of this cheap game. Harriet Harman. We were absolutely clear in our manifesto, and the Home Secretary was absolutely clear that we would guarantee the central government funding to protect frontline services. And no wonder his backbenchers are so silent. He is planning to cut their police force by 20%. Well, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, their constituents will be astonished to see them cheering 20% cuts in the police budget. Mr. Speaker, he will be aware of the report of the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester setting out how frontline police will have to be cut. What does he say to the people of Greater Manchester? who will be deeply worried about the cut in police numbers. Well, well, first of all, let me answer the point that she made about what Labour said after the election. After the election, again, uh, the Shadow Chancellor was asked, she raised the point after the election, if Labour had won the general election, the Home Office budget would have been cut and the police would have had to make savings. That is what they said. Now, she asks... She asks about Greater Manchester. Let me answer specifically about Greater Manchester. First of all, the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester has said that his plans are putting the maximum resources on frontline policing. And I'm not surprised, and I'm not surprised he is able to say that, because here are the figures for the employment levels in those back office functions. Human resources, 187 people for that force. Vehicle Fleet vehicle maintenance, 106 people. Finance, 106. I, well, they want to know the facts about Greater Manchester Police. These are the facts about Greater Manchester Police. IT. Guess how many people there are involved in IT in Greater Manchester Police? 225. Now, this is the debate we ought to be having. How do we get resources from the back office onto the front line? How do we do it when right now only 11% of police officers are on the streets at any one time? That is the mess we've inherited. That's the mess we're going to clear up. But the Chief Constable's report is clear. As well as cutting important back office staff, front line police will have to be cut. That's what the report says. 
The Prime Minister says that all this is unavoidable. He always says that because of deficit reduction. In In that case, could he explain why he's spending what the Association of Police Authorities say is £100 million creating new elected police commissioners at the same time as cutting police numbers? The police commissioners will replace the police authorities. That's the point. But the, the the key issue she has now addressed, we are doing this because we inherited the biggest budget deficit in the G20. And it's no good Labour talking about cuts. They were planning 20% cuts. We are just having to introduce measures to deal with the mess that they made. But instead of just top-down cuts, we want to work with these organisations and say, how do we help you to maximise the the impact on the front line? That's why we are scrapping the stop form. Labour introduced that. That is going to save 450,000 hours of police time. We are going to limit stop-and-search reporting, which will save another 350,000 hours of police time. This is the nonsense the Bureau bureaucracy, the form-filling that they put in place, we're freeing the police officers to get out and do the job people want them to. Harriet Harman. But that, and by the way, it's an extra £100 million. That extra £100 million he's spending on electing police commissioners is the equivalent of hundreds of police officers. Police numbers do matter in tackling crime. Of of course they do. Will he drop his proposal for elected police commissioners and give the police the resources they need to protect frontline policing? Straight answer to that, no, I won't. And I'll tell you why. It's about time we had more accountable police forces in our country. I want there to be police commissioners so that when they do a good job calling the police to account and they're fighting crime in the way local people want, they get re-elected. And if they do a bad job, they'll get thrown out. Democracy is a great thing we all think in here. What about a bit of democracy in policing as well? Harriet Harman. But what local people want is to see their local police on their local streets. And there he is. There he is, posing as the guardian of probity in public finances. And, Mr Speaker, it can't be denied, he knows a thing or two about posing. Why, why, at the same time as he's cutting police numbers, why did he choose to use public money, not just on a vanity photographer, but, but, but putting staff from Tory HQ onto the public payroll with taxpayers footing the bill. Why did he do that? Even even the jokes are lame this week, I've got to say. (laughs) Shall I tell you a few people Let me tell you a few people we won't be employing. We won't have special advisers ordering around civil servants like they did. We won't won't be employing employing Damien McBride to smear the wives and families of politicians. We won't be employing Alistair Campbell to sex up dossiers to make the case for war. I've got got a list. There's, there's plenty more. I've got a whole list. I've got a whole list of people here that are employed by the last government. We could try. Um, here's one. I've got one here. Ruth Mackenzie. 
She was a Labour Party employee. She then became an expert advisor in the department. What was her qualification? Well, according to The Guardian, she speaks new Labour. There we are. That's a good. That's a great qualification. There's another one here. Um, uh, order. I think I've got the gist of it. We don't need to hear any more. Let me just say to the House, um, order. Let me just say to the House, and that includes every member of the House, it is now time that we got back to questions and answers about the policies of the government. That's what the public expects. That is what the public is entitled to get. Mr Brian Binley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. More than 41% of all loans drawn from the Enterprise Finance Guarantee Scheme were issued by the Royal Bank of Scotland, and a further 30% by Lloyds Bank. And yet there are 27 banks operating in the marketplace. No matter how you look at the figures, it means that 25 banks are simply not doing their jobs and supporting SMEs. Yes. What will the Prime Minister do to ensure those dilatory banks do all they can to help SMEs have the working capital? The Honourable Gentleman can resume order. The Honourable, gen- order. the Honourable Gentleman will resume his seat, not when he chooses, but when I choose. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Gentleman has spoken up very passionately and rightly about this issue because one of the keys to securing recovery is to get bank lending going, and the points he makes are extremely valid. There is a bank-led uh, 1.5 billion business growth fund that is providing finance to SMEs. We've added to that with the Enterprise Capital Funds programme and the Enterprise Finance Guarantee. That should secure an extra £2 billion worth of lending, but I agree with him we need to be vigilant on this issue and keep pressurising the banks to do more to help those small businesses. Gemma Doyle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Reports suggest that as many as 1,700 of my constituents will lose their job as a direct consequence of the government's spending cuts. What action will the Prime Minister take to ensure that unemployment in Western Bartonshire does not reach the levels it did under the last Tory government? Well, what we have to do, and the Honourable Lady is right, what we have to do is make sure there is a private sector-led recovery. That's why we've got low interest rates, we've got corporation tax coming down, we've got cuts in national insurance for new firms that are hiring people, we've got less regulation, we've got all these advantages as an economy, and we need to engineer a private sector-led recovery, and the unemployment figures today, which I noticed the Leader of the Opposition didn't go anywhere near, are a good sign that that private sector-led recovery is underway. Pretty Patel. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In September, Ofsted raided Power Tall Infant School in Whitton. Despite an outstanding head teacher making a formal complaint about the inspector and the poorly constructed report by Ofsted, two head teachers have resigned from the school and the head teacher is now asking for the school to be re-inspected. Would the Prime Minister visit this tremendous school to hear at first hand the disgraceful and bureaucratic way Ofsted have treated this school? And will he press for Ofsted to withdraw this flawed report while an independent inquiry is actually launched? Well, the Honourable Lady speaks up powerfully for her constituency, and I can understand the concern. Obviously, it's important school inspections are carried out to the highest possible uh, standards, and I don't think it would be right for me to comment in detail on an individual case. But what I would say is this. There would be dangers of automatically withdrawing a report because a complaint has been made. Some might use that to frustrate the process, but we do need to make sure that reports are done in a, in a very good and professional manner. Brian Donohoe. Number four, Mr Speaker. 
I look forward to visiting Scotland soon. Mr Brian Donoghue. Mr Speaker, he didn't say he was coming to Central Ayrshire. <laughs> However, he doesn't know what he's missing. If Mohammed won't come to Ayrshire, is it possible that, given the reports in national press about Irvine, the largest town in my constituency, having the highest unemployment in Scotland, would he meet a small delegation to discuss the whole question of unemployment? So I think the Honourable Gentleman raises what is going to be one of the absolutely most defining issues of the next few years, which is how we get people, how we get people out of unemployment and also how we make sure that losses of jobs in the public sector are made up for by growth in the private sector. That is an absolutely key area. That's why bank lending matters. That's why helping SMEs matter. That's why tax rates matter. That's why the regional growth fund that we're introducing helps. I'm certainly happy to meet with the Honourable Gentleman. I wanted to keep him in a little bit of suspense, just in case I don't make it to Central Ayrshire myself. Order. As the House will know, that was a closed question about Central Ayrshire. We're now back to open questions. Stephen Gilbert. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will no doubt be aware that my constituency has suffered from severe flooding overnight. Many hundreds of people are affected and there's been significant damage uh, and disruption within Central Cornwall. Will he join with me in commending the professionalism of the emergency services and their response uh, to the incident? And will he further commit the government to doing all it can to help support the affected communities in the coming weeks and months? Um, I I can certainly do that. I've just spoken to um, Alec Robertson, the leader of Cornwall Council, about the situation in Cornwall. There was a very difficult night in central and and south-east Cornwall. I think the emergency services, the police, the Coast Guard, the fire services, search and rescue, they've been working round the clock and they've done a fantastic job. Message loud and clear from this House. There are no reports of of casualties yet, but there have been some medical evacuations. The train line is still blocked, the A38 is still closed, but I know that everyone is working round the clock to try and get this sorted. We have said um, that we're stand ready to help in any way that we can, and I think what he says is important. We have to remember when the floodwaters uh, actually start to recede, that's when many of the biggest problems arise over insurance and getting people back into their homes, and we've got to make sure we help people in every way we can. Owen Smith. Mr Speaker, writing in The Sun in January of this year, the Prime Minister said that midwives are stretched to breaking point, so we will increase the number of midwives by 3,000. Under a Conservative government, that's what parents want and that's what they will get. Now, this morning, the Prime Minister stands accused by the Royal College of Midwives of reneging on that promise. Does he want to take this opportunity to differentiate himself from his deputy's attitude to such solemn promises and honour that pledge to midwives and mothers? We do want to see an increase in midwives, and unlike the party opposite, we're actually funding the health service in a way that makes that possible. The point is that his shadow chancellor said, when asked about our pledge to increase funding in the health service, he said there is no logic, sense or rationality to it at all. Now, I know the Honourable Gentleman used to... uh, used to work on the Today programme, so let me give him a thought for the day. The health service is better off with our government. Gordon Henderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, take this opportunity to assure my constituents in Sydney and Sheppey that planning circular 0106 will be scrapped in the near future and that travelling communities will then be treated 
in the same way as settled communities with regard to planning laws. I'm not uh, fully up to date with that particular planning circular, but what I can reassure him about is, as I've said here before, is that traveller communities should be treated in a similar way to other communities in that you cannot have planning permission retrospectively granted uh, when you haven't obeyed uh, the rules. That's not right, and everyone should obey the law. Bill Esterson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I wrote to the Prime Minister about my constituent Scott Sheard from Formby. Scott suffered severe brain damage when he was assaulted in July, and he needs a wheelchair so he can go home. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the good news that Scott's wheelchair will be ready next week? And will he intervene to help others in Merseyside and elsewhere who have been on the waiting list for wheelchairs for far too long? Um, yes, I'm certainly happy to do that, and, and I think the Honourable Gentleman makes an extremely important point, and can, MPs of all parties, in all parts of this House, and anyone who's ever tried to get a wheelchair for anybody will know that the delays and the lack of choice and the lack of power people have is incredibly frustrating. I think it must be possible in this day and age um, to actually put more power in the patient's hand or the parent's hand and make sure we get greater, greater, better choice, faster wheelchairs, and, and ones that actually... Um, <laughs> faster. We get, sorry, we get the wheelchairs a bit faster. Thank you. Andrew Griffiths. Um, with ministers taking 5% pay cuts and departments facing a reduction of 19%, does the Prime Minister share my dismay that the Labour Party are to receive an extra million pounds of taxpayers' money, an increase of 20%? If we are all in it together, shouldn't they pay it back? Yeah, yeah. No, um, my honourable friend makes a very good point, and a lot of people on the, opposi on the opposition front bench don't seem to understand this. That the taxpayer provides short money, which and the amount, the amount, the amount that. Um, the amount that goes to Labour is going up by 21%. As other departments are having to take such severe cuts, the cut in number 10 Downing Street, for instance, 25%, I look forward to an offer from the party opposite. Stephen Timms. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, I welcome the commitment the Prime Minister made two weeks ago to a new Silicon Valley in East London. But is it going to be like the promise to the midwives? Can he tell us how many jobs he wants to see created in East London and what specific steps he and the government will be taking to make it happen? I think, first of all, I praise the people who put together the idea of Tech City in the east of London in terms of the amount of businesses they've actually encouraged to commit to going there from Google and Intel and others. I don't think it's right for the government to try and you know, identify the precise number of jobs that will be created. But what you've seen is a huge level of enthusiasm, great commitment from ministers and a number of businesses committing to going into Shoreditch and going into the Olympic Park, where there's a fantastic uh, space for an incubator uh, for, for new businesses. And I hope that he will help us to get behind this and create what could be a Silicon Valley for the East End. Karen Bradley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. One of the keys to securing economic growth in areas like Staffordshire Moorlands is the promotion of vocational education and apprenticeships. Yeah. So can the Prime Minister assure students and staff at further education colleges, such as Leek College in my constitu constituency, of the Government's continued commitment to this area? 
Yes, absolutely we can. My right honourable friend, the Skills Secretary, actually produced the skills strategy yesterday. And yes, we're having to make difficult decisions, but in the middle of that, we're actually increasing the number of apprenticeships by 75,000 over what was planned, as well as putting more money into building FE colleges, which I think is vital for the future skills of our country. Nigel Dodds. I endorse the sentiments expressed earlier by the Prime Minister in relation to the tragic death of Ranger Aaron McCormack of 1st Battalion, the Royal Irish Regiment, yeah, 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 yeah. who was tragically killed in, on Remembrance Day, and his service and, others, and that of others will never be forgotten. Uh, and many troops from Northern Ireland are serving in Afghanistan and elsewhere. And can I also associate my Red Honourable and Honourable Friends with his expressions of best wishes to the happy couple, the royal couple, and we wish them well for the future. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. hopefully they will enjoy their visit to Northern Ireland in due course. Uh, can I uh, ask the Prime Minister on Afghanistan, <laughs> on Afghanistan, can he give us an update on the training and equipping of Afghan security forces, a process only allowed by the service and sacrifice of our troops. The Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right. The training mission and the equipping and training of Afghan soldiers and police officers is not only essential for the future of Afghanistan, it's also the way in which we will be able, over time, to draw our own soldiers down and bring them home. We have the NATO summit this weekend. That will be one of the most important issues on the agenda. I think the training mission is now being well supported. We're giving huge support, but other countries are coming in uh, behind us. In terms of the Afghan army, I think its performance is improving, but we have to keep working at this and making sure they have all the equipment they need. Richard Harrington. Speaker. Last week, Warner Brothers announced a £100 million investment in Leavesden Studios in my constituency. This is very welcome, as it will provide more than 600 jobs and a real boost to the local economy. Would my right honourable friend confirm that the producer tax credit for the film industry, which was very significant in Warner Brothers' decision to make the investment, will continue? And secondly, that the government will consider ways that the government will consider ways to get British investors to invest in British films made here so that the profits remain in this country. I think my honourable friend makes an extremely good point. It's very, very welcome what Warner Brothers are doing. We are committed to supporting the film industry. We are committed to continuing with the tax credits that he speaks about. I think one of the keys to Warner's success in his constituency is the Harry Potter film franchise that they've been making has been incredibly successful. And there is a great tip and key to filmmakers, which is we've got to make films that people want to watch and films that will have a benefit beyond themselves. They also encourage people to come and visit our country. Tony Lloyd. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can, can the Prime Minister be very precise and tell the House whether he's, he's honestly saying that if one in four police officers are taken out of Greater Manchester with one in four of the, of the police community support officers, that this will have no impact on deterring and detecting crime? And if he will say that, will he come to Manchester and explain it to people who fear of crime is still a major issue? What I'd say to my, uh, the, the Honourable Gentleman is, first of all, we've got the Chief Constable saying we've been working for some time on plans to ensure the force provides the most efficient service and the maximum resources are focused on frontline policing. And then when you look at the figures for how few police officers really spend their time on the beat because of the paperwork, because of the form filling, then when you look at how we're managing our police forces and you look at the numbers in human resources, in 
finance, IT and training, I say we've got to do better than this. Now, there's a choice. You can either just say all reductions in public spending are a disaster and we can't uh, deal with them, or we've got to try and find a way to get more for less. That's what we're doing in this coalition government. The opposition just aren't engaged in the debate. Mr Malcolm Bruce. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that as an international trading nation and a leader in international development, it is vital that we can attract key people from around the world to this country for short and long-term stays? When will he be able to tell the House how the government is finalising the criteria for the visa and immigration cap to end the uncertainty which could damage uh, investment in the UK as preferred location? Well, I can tell my right honourable friend that we are working on this issue extremely we work on this issue. I don't think there will be any difficulties in achieving the two goals we have. One is to get the immigration system that we inherited under control. The current level of net immigration into the UK of 200,000 a year, 2 million over a decade, is too high. It needs to be brought down. But we should do that in a way that is business friendly and helpful to the economy. And when you look at the rules that we inherited, and the fact that people were coming into this country under tier one, but often had no skills at all, uh, or were not working in skilled jobs, um, some of them actually were even working in, in, in pizza restaurants, it wasn't working properly. That's what we've got to get right. Earl Turner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What does the Prime Minister have to say to my constituents on Ings Estate and Preston Road in East Hull that will now be left in unfit housing because his government has scrapped the flagship housing market renewal programme, the Gateway Pathfinder Scheme. I've been inundated with constituents over the past few days who are desperate, living in properties surrounded by properties that are boarded up. I'm seeing them tomorrow night at a residence meeting. What message of hope can I give them? Well, I think there are schemes like the Regional Growth Fund that his constituency will be able to apply for to help to deal with issues like, like um, improving the level of housing. And that is, that is one of the schemes that we have. We also have a huge programme for upgrading and building new homes through the new uh, rent scheme that we have. All of these can make a difference, and he can talk to his constituents about those. James Morris. Mr Speaker, the Sandwell Metropolitan Borough, part of which I represent, um, has uh, high levels of, uh, very high levels of deprivation. Could the Prime Minister reassure the children and parents of, school, uh, of schools in Sandwell that the government, particularly with their pupil premium policy, is on the side of children and families in Sanwell. Yeah. I, I absolutely can do that because we made some difficult choices in the spending review to say we're going to put more money into early years education for two-year-olds from deprived families. That wasn't previously available. We're going to fund extra hours for three- and four-year-olds in nursery education. We're going to make sure there is a pupil premium, never dreamt of by a Labour government in 13 years in office, that is over and above the per-pupil funding in our schools. And then we're going to carry that through to university so actually children on free school meals will get some time at university for free and won't have to pay uh, the, the, um, the student uh, premiums. That, all those things will make a big difference and show that this actually is a government that's made some progressive choices in education, even though we inherited a mess that we had to clear up. Bridget Philipson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with his business secretary that the scrapping of regional development agencies has been Maoist and chaotic? Yeah. 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 
That's, um, given that he is implementing the policy, that is not his view. We all take a view that the RDAs wasted a vast amount of money. Many of them weren't popular with the business is in their area, and the local enterprise partnerships will do a much better job. And I would suggest, instead of complaining about it, why not work with her local authorities to get a good local enterprise partnership in her area to start backing business and jobs and economic revival? Employment is at the top of people's minds. Could I ask the Prime Minister to join me in congratulating the Saga Group on their wise decision to move into Hastings with its very high public sector employment with up to 800 new jobs for the town? I'm very happy to join my honourable friend congratulating uh, Saga and the very good work that they do, and I'm sure in, in choosing Hastings they've made an excellent decision. There is good news in today's unemployment figures. We should celebrate that. There's a lot more to do to get this economic recovery underway, but it would help if we didn't have so many people determined to talk down the performance of the British economy. Doesn't the devastation in Cornwall illustrate the false economy of his recent decision to slash investment in flood defences? Well, that's simply not the case. The fact is, DEFRA will be spending over £2.1 billion on flood and coastal erosion risk management over the next four years. That is roughly the same as spent over the last four years. We made some difficult choices in the spending round, but we've protected flood defences because it is important. But all the while, we had to bear in mind the absolutely wretched and rotten inheritance we had from the lot over there. Order.